if you don't have a highly competitive product in a highly competitive niche, don't expect a lot from data that only as it will only give you two or three relevant keywords and that will be it. There'll be nothing else. So you still would have to use some other tools and help you can get on the site. Do you feel you're wasting money you could be keeping in your pocket? Well, many private label Amazon sellers don't even know where they're wasting money, let alone how to stop it. But if that's you, we can help. Our new online assessment helps you identify your biggest Amazon profit killer and what to do about it. For a powerful and quick diagnosis, go to amazonprofitquiz.com. That's amazonprofitquiz.com to get your instant free analysis straight away. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Ladles and jelly spoons, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven, and eight-figure Amazon and private label custom product sellers. If you're an e-commerce seller more broadly, there's a lot you'll learn from today. Today's guest, Jana Krikic, is an absolute expert in translation and international customization, localization, all that kind of stuff, all the Asians. Got a degree in translating, I believe, also has... Uh, yeah. being the head of YLT Translations for quite a while, the founder and CEO, which has grown like crazy and serves lots and lots of people with fantastic language-related skills. So for Amazon sellers specifically. So, Jana, welcome back to the show. Good to have you. Hi, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. It's, as I said, it has been a while, but it's always great to be back on your podcast and to share some of the exciting updates and the international marketplaces. Excellent. So the first thing is then keyword research in in, international marketplaces. That's plunged into the topic. So first of all, before we do that, I think you were, we were chatting and I think it's worth you relaying about the overall state of e-commerce because that's the big picture we're in. A lot of my clients are saying that they are seeing downturns in the business. There's some people are panicking. Some people are chilled about it, depending on their personality. What's the overview of the state of the union from where you sit? Because you work with a lot of different sellers, some really big guys. Yeah. So basically, I mean, just honestly talking about the state of e-commerce, not about like, you know, these fantastic predictions and all of that. And I just want to keep it like very real. And that is that like Q1 has been very difficult for everyone. It's been difficult for service providers like myself. It's been difficult for sellers and everyone has been cutting expenses. People were just cutting expenses when it comes to their PPC costs and campaigns, which are pretty much essential. So you can just imagine how much that reflected all other services because, you know, people were not basically using any other of the essential services because as we all know, aggregators have kind of stopped buying brands. The multipliers are not going sky high at the moment. I think right now there are just a couple of aggregators still buying, such as Elevit Brands and a couple of other newer aggregators. But overall, Q1 has not been great. And a lot of our clients have seen huge drop in sales. But I think that was just, you know, something that it could be expected and you could sense at the end of Q4. But the Q1 has been really rough for everyone. And then Q2 has been not so great either. But Q3 kind of is where things started picking up. 
And uh, I know that after Prime Day, which has been the best Prime Day in history of Amazon, actually, that people have seen some great results on great sales. So I think that things have started improving and we've seen that the sellers are getting back in that international saddle and like trying to just put themselves together and be like, come on, let's do it. Like we can still grow this business. And I think now after the, like this shock of like Q1, sellers are like, okay, so let me focus now on how I can build my business steadily. Maybe I'll be ready to exit in the next wave of buying business in two years. So I think people are now like just pulling themselves together and being like, okay, let me just be smart and strategic and think of this as a long-term game and just build things how they're supposed to be done. So this is just kind of my feel. And this is, I think, the direction where the industry is going to, is heading to. I think it's still going to be a very challenging time the next 12 months overall, especially after recession hits the States, which is, is still hasn't happened. So we'll see what happens then. But I think it's, yeah, next 12 months are definitely going to be very challenging for everyone. But for what I've seen is in this situation from Q1 till now, like we're close to end of Q3 has improved a bit. I don't know what you think and what's your opinion about that, Michael? Yeah, I guess what I'm seeing for my clients is that um, there's been, I mean, certainly those who UK focus, it's probably similar to other countries that people are off spending money on services like bars, restaurants and flights in a way that obviously (laughs) under lockdown, 100% of that consumer discretionary spending was focused on e-commerce. So it's kind of obvious that the overall sort of demand, sort of almost captive demand that we had in e-commerce was not going to be recreated. And so I'm reasonably sanguine about that. This is That was a blip. I mean, COVID was an exception and everyone knows that. Mm. And the aggregators who work on training 12 months metrics have kind of woken up and gone, yeah, you know that thing called common sense? as well as trailing 12-month <laughs> metrics and all that clever crunching of numbers, you know, that that's what's happening now. Yeah, Everyone's exactly. desperate to get on flights for the first time in two years in many countries. So I think that the common sense is that's where the money's gone. And then in terms of the size of the overall consumer discretionary spending, what is discretionary? Discuss are pro- products that are more essential going to do better than products that are more optional, of course. To what extent that crunches in, I don't know. But I would say also international expansion was a very interesting thing during COVID, and this is why we're coming to today's topic because it's not always predictable i mean parts of america really kind of shut down for bits and those american sellers i knew who sold in europe did suddenly 70 percent of their sales in europe when it had previously been 20 percent. and equally yeah. people who only sold in france or germany certainly saw several weeks where the amazon sensors pretty much said no to everything or even a few months unless it was quotes essential and then of course what counts as essential now won't necessarily in two years so i think one of the hedges against getting it wrong in investing is what do you call it it's asset allocation so having things in different Mm -hmm. types of assets in different countries and different cities strike me as a very wise hedge against not getting it perfect right now that's my main thing Mm. yeah i agree as well covid times were not real they were just that the bubble was like blown out of the proportion and whoever was getting this or that is not something that could be done like regular time this year or the year before that. So it's always easy to be like a COVID millionaire. What about after COVID? What, what, is, what does it mean when you go back to regular sales and like regular life and people want to travel? As I said, I think a lot of the budget goes on travel and everything that people did not have during those two years of pandemic. So yeah, I think that the world is hungry for something else outside of the e-commerce basically. But uh, yeah, I think things will get back to how they were before COVID in the next probably 12 months or so. 
Interesting. I don't necessarily think they're going to get back to that. I think they're going to be the third state, which is harder to predict. But anyway, let's go in my amateurish economic predictions. I love macroeconomics. So it doesn't mean that I'm an expert. To guide no, me anyone, neither. But... You're just, I was very surprised by a lot of things that happened after COVID, but we'll talk about that later. But so yeah. you never know. And I also never like to give my predictions for 2023. Who it's knows? It's a mugs game happen. predicting, isn't it? Exactly. Let's talk about keyword research internationally, because I think that we've talked about why is it wise to do international expansion. It's such a hedge against one particular market doing better or worse than you expected. If it does better than you expect, that sounds good in terms of sales, but that can lead you to then over order for the next quarter that isn't so good. So it can imbalance things. So let's assume that going international is a wise concept. Let, the first thing is, do we really need to bother doing new keyword research? I know in terms of a lot of listings people will just especially if they're in UK now that EFN European Fulfillment Networks reopened to a degree and people can get goods from the UK yeah. to Europe it's a bit messy but it's not as terrible as it was then a lot of people are just using Google Translate or letting Amazon do the translation now that's mm -hmm. with the listing as a whole do we really need to bother with keyword research and if so why is it important yeah, basically, so keywords are something which is pretty essential in your content. Without any keywords, nobody will be able to find your product. Of course, there are paid ads, there's this and that. But at the end of the day, someone types something that they want to buy. If you don't have that keyword in your content, your product will not show up. It's very simple. And you have to have everything. Of course, you have to have both PPC like keywords in your campaigns. But you also have to have keywords in your content because content is still king. And even if you have like your Shopify website or your Amazon products, you have to have good content with keywords because without having highly relevant keywords, you're basically just wasting your time. And what we've seen that happen is like people just do Google Translate going to foreign marketplaces and then everything works great. They have like great pictures and everything is in order. And then six months after the launch, their sales start dropping. And it's usually because of the content. This is what we've seen. They've had like great everything. But then we do the, we do an audit and then the content doesn't make much sense. So it, it doesn't even have, I mean, it doesn't have, make sense, let alone like no keywords. That is really essential. And a lot of times content is the one to blame because you had drop in sales. And I know keywords are really difficult for you to do if you don't speak that foreign language. And uh, what people do is they put it in Google Translate and then you're like, hey, this is like probably a keyword on another language. Which is really, those words might mean that, what they mean in the, tar the source language, but they do not form the exact same keyword on a new marketplace. Because people in Germany would maybe not look for this blue travel cup, but like people in the UK will look for a blue travel cup. It'll be like top of the search, search terms list, but like in Germany, maybe they don't even want to buy that. So it's really essential to do keyword research on each marketplace separately. Because that's what, how you will know what the audience wants from that marketplace. People in the UK, people in the US, they don't like same things, even though they both speak English. Like people in the UK, they drink after tea. People in the US, they drink Pepsi after lunch, right? So it's a cultural difference. And just replicate that to all of the other countries in Europe. And that kind of makes you think, okay, I guess my keywords are not going to be the same everywhere. Now, the problem that happens is that the tools are not always going to be great for that. So we use Helium 10 as that is our go-to tool for international marketplaces. But that a lot of times doesn't give you highly relevant keywords. So you can get search volume keywords, like high top search volume keywords, but they don't always, they're not always highly relevant ones for your product. So if you're selling like a blue travel glass mug, whatever, uh, 
maybe that's I, I search one keyword, but maybe you want to make it into a car, like it's especially like to put a car in a car handle type of a low travel mug, and you're not using that keyword, which is highly relevant for your product. And maybe if you use the blue travel mug used in the States or the UK, it's too broad and it's not going to drive people to your product, especially because how many people would think of a car friendly travel mug when they type blue travel mug? Not many, probably. And you will just blow a lot of money on your PPC clicks and people will be just like, ah, okay, I'm here, but I just click will convert because this is not exactly the product that I was looking for. So we see a lot of that, like two broad keywords because all these tools they bring you like a lot of big keywords, like two broad ones and not like necessarily niche down to your product only. So the problem happens when you don't have a competitive niche. Like it's great for highly competitive product, like wet hairbrush or something similar to that's like top seller on the marketplace. And that's where you get good results in Germany or France or Mexico, That then it's fine. But what happens when you don't have a highly competitive product and you still have a potential for it and you can make a lot of money off of it? And that's where the, these usually these tools are not that fantastic. And you are definitely not maximizing on the potential that the product has using these tools. So you have to think, you, ha- you have to think outside of the box at that point. So what we've seen that works really well, also for not for all products, but for a lot of products is the data dive tool that gives you like highly converted keyword. But what we found out is that there were, I think this was a Spanish marketplace. There was a food supplements that was not that popular. And uh, the data dive tool show two or three keywords saying these are the highly relevant ones and that's it. So if you just use data dive tool, you would get three keywords for your entire content. And that's not enough, even though these are highly relevant. It, you will know that these are not only they have like big volume, but also highly relevant ones. You will only have three keywords and that is not enough. So in that case, you have to mix and match with everything you have. You can use the highly relevant ones in the title, but then you can use a little bit more broad ones. Let's say if this was like a food supplement, then you can use something with the, I don't know, you can use the word like food supplement or goes well with something else, something like that. Like you can just kind of brainstorm a little bit and find something that's broad, but will make sense because you don't have a lot of these niche down keywords to work with. So I would say that you still have to combine a couple of different tools. But let's say for this product using Data Dive and Helium 10, we got some really good results. But for the products that have not a lot of competitors and are not popular products, we've had some African snack. I forgot the name. This is the first time I've ever heard about the snack. I know my team had to like look on like Wikipedia. Is it like savory or is it sweet? We had no idea. It was just like poor information about it, but it was a really unique product. So for that, we use AMZ Suggestion Expander. It's not a tool you pay. It's an add-on from Chrome because all these tools, they feed off your competitors listing. So what happens when you don't have a lot of competitors or what if their competitors are not doing a great job, which they usually aren't in foreign language, you go to the AMZ Suggestion Expander. And then if you just type the main word, let's say you're selling a bonsai tree kit. So you just put like bonsai tree and then you have this drop-down menu with the keywords that would come before and after this main word that you type. So you don't see the search volume, you don't see the relevancy, but you got some really good keyword ideas. And then you can also check them like in Google AdWords using Keyword Planner because all the Amazon content will also rank on Google. 
So this is also how you can use it like when you don't have that many competitors and you can still get really good results, which we have with the, these type of uh, products. But you have to know that you have to customize and try this or that, a lot of it like A-B testing when you have different type of products. If something works fantastic on the US marketplace, because it's a huge market, you have thousands of competitors, you have thousands of these products and you have great data, it will probably not work as well for your German marketplace. And in that case, you have to mix and match with these three tools that will guarantee it work and they will, you will get a good, solid keyword database. Just two, three keywords are never going to be enough for you. Yeah. And if you can get more than that, like I would say that per listing, not to, of course, overstop or anything like that. I think eight keywords are good for you, like for the first thousand, for the first thousand characters. And I know a lot of people now are testing the 10 bullets. So instead of five, you're going to get the 10 bullets. If you want to do that, I still suggest on focusing on the first thousand characters with title included, and then to leave the last three bullets with something that's going to be like, I don't know, eco-friendly products or like we help Panda retreat or something that's not too important that you need to use the keywords for. And then the rest it goes to the Ableton content about your brand. But we've seen more and more sellers also testing the 10 bullets instead of five and also keeping them very short. It's like literally like caps lock, which are still allowed in Europe. So you can use like caps lock. So the beginning of the bullet looks still very nice. And then just one sentence. And then you put it like in 10 bullets or seven bullets, depending on what you're eligible to do. Yeah, I would say that's, that's the strategy that works now. And the data dive has been something that we've been testing since March because I've spoken Prosper Show with Brendan Young, who's a spokesman of the tool. And I was like, okay, let me just check it out because I knew he was going to talk about it in his talk. And I didn't know what to expect. And I was really surprised by the results. And we've got some really good things. But as I said, if you don't have a highly competitive product, in a highly competitive niche, don't expect a lot from data that only as it will only give you two or three relevant keywords and that will be it. There'll be nothing else. So you still would have to use some other tools and help you can get on the site. Great. So thank you. There's, there's a lot of detail there. So just to feedback for people that quickly, the four tools you're suggesting is like Helium 10, good old Helium 10. And if you yeah. want to get, <laughs> I think got a reduction for anyone listening, amazingfba.com forward slash Helium 10. I'm like everyone else in the world. It's basically a law that you have to be a Helium 10 affiliate because they're so big. But if there's anyone left out there who hasn't <laughs> already got Helium 10, Brennan, Brennan Young's tool is very good. I've had the clients use it who are the UK-based sellers, but they sell in the US and it seems very useful there. So it's interesting that you US say the limitations because a lot of tools are created by US sellers for primarily the US, US. market. And it yeah. makes sense because it's the biggest, richest market, richest in the sense of data richness and richness of opportunity. And it's interesting that you're suggesting good old keyword, Google Keyword Planner and AMZ Suggest Expander as other ways to add in the keywords. And it strikes me more and more. I mean, I've been recently playing around with something completely off Amazon, just partly just to do something fresh and try things outside the Amazon bubble that I've been living in for so long. And I've gone back to Google Ads marketing. And when you're dealing with things where even have really commercial website and it's well set up and the intent's really good you're looking at one percent conversion rates you start to be much fussier about the cost of keywords and the, being choosy about which keywords you're going to target and i think on amazon we've got into the habit of just throwing everything at a listing and actually i guess what you're saying is uh, that you may choose to target particular keywords of course in 
different parts of the listing. You may also choose to target very relevant keywords or valuable ones through advertising. And then some of it, you will accept that you get lower sales, but you're going to target through organic ranking because it just wouldn't make commercial sense to target through advertising. Is that more or less your thinking these yes, days? Yes, that's, that's basically more or less. Yeah, just try yeah. to, if there's like this like African snack, try to beat uh, and be ranked on Google. Try to do that. Instead of like Amazon and also keyword panel or something that we've used before Helium 10 was even there or it was even available for international marketplaces. And we would still get results because we couldn't get any other keyword ideas from any of the other tools. So good old keyword planner is still something to think about if you have no idea how to get keywords on something you're selling and you have zero to non-competitors and no other data. Google has all the data. And the thing is that, especially if it's going to rank organically, you don't necessarily need to fuss about whether it's going to produce a return on investment in terms of the PPC within the Amazons of ads universe. But it nevertheless is likely if you have got something unusual to show up on the Google search result, right? If it's like an African snack made of snails. I don't know. I have no idea making stuff up here, but yes, I think Amazon's one of Google's biggest customers, but also I think they're more similar than people think we get used to thinking Amazon's a shopping engine and Google is an everything engine, including a shopping engine, right? Mm. So there's, I feel like it, it does work in similar ways. Sometimes we forget that and we just get stuck in the Amazon universe. So, also, I have a really good recommendation. So, I, I mentioned my website and a lot of Amazon sellers, they do have Shopify stores and even especially bigger ones. But, but I've also known that Amazon sellers in the space and basically Amazon people in the industry, they have zero clue about SEO. And SEO is super important, but like you're listening content, but you don't know anything about SEO and how it actually works. People just throw money on Google ads and it's all good. Like you should do that as well, but you have to be like the part of everything. But localization on your Shopify store is a localization, yes. And SEO is very important. So for that, I can recommend a tool called SEM Rush, Sam Rush. And you can use it to get the best keywords you can use on your Shopify stores. We also do that as well. And Sam Rush has been my go-to tool ever since I was like in e-commerce like 15 years ago. It's like definitely like number one. And I think you do get a couple of features for free editions to try it out. So I would always suggest someone who wants to really get serious about it, because once you rank on Google for your website, you're here, you're there to stay for a long time. When I did our website, YLT, like four years ago, we, our, our website, like we're doing now the new design and new content and all that, but we got ranked and that's it. Like for the last three years, we stayed, there was like, just when you type like listing translations in like all, all countries, like globally, there's like Amazon and then there's YLT and then you have other but just big translation agencies, not specialized in Amazon, I think just being a big translation agency. And we got ranked on Google for that for like after a year. And we stayed there intact for three years. We did not update anything. We just had a good team working on our SEO using SEMrush. So I would definitely recommend that. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you. Funnily enough, I used SEMrush. I signed up for a free trial and I was a bit too mean to pay because I think it's about $99 a month if you pay annually, which I would call $1,200 a year. Personally, this yeah, whole yeah, annually monthly thing is BS, yeah. but it's $120 a, a month. But if you're serious about it, and I have to say it's an incredible suite of tools. Ahrefs is also one that's really good. I've literally mm-hmm. signed up today as an affiliate for that. So if you want to go, you're saying nice. all the affiliate links. <laughs> and mate, I wasn't intended to be pitching everyone, but amazingfpa.com forward slash SEMrush. I don't know if I actually can give you any special deals from that, to be honest. So if you feel like helping to give back to the show, having given you 
whatever, seven, eight years of advice, then great. If not, go and Google it, do what you want. But it is definitely an amazing tool set. I scratched the surface and I spent hours and hours on it. And I really think the broader point that you're, you're bringing out here that I think is a great thing is... Um, a, get off Amazon and think outside the Amazon bubble, even if that's where you're going to sell, because that's where the universe of buyers is also, they will focus on Amazon as a shopping platform, but they will also very likely put something into Google, go to Amazon, bounce onto Google and look at your, look for your site. If you have one, which you probably should have, even if you're not trying to sell there, just brand reassurance and yes. then bounce back to Amazon. So if you can be in those places and understand, even if you're not in those places, but understand that journey and the keywords associated with those different places, I think that's super helpful because it's tracking in a very numerical, very trackable way, if you like people's journeys are through the internet customer journey if you like but not in a fluffy marketer kind of way but in a really mm. hard numbers way which i think is super helpful because otherwise we start to see things through very narrow spectacles and we're just on amazon i think that's right. my overall take and this is great advice about trying to integrate a few of the tools there obviously we've given a sort of snapshot of the level of depth that you guys can go into so tell us a little bit more about what you can offer amazon sellers so we can offer everything when it comes to content, anything from brand store translations, translations of listings, which is our core service. We also do copywriting. We cover all global Amazon marketplaces. We do Shopify, also copywriting and localization with and without keywords, depending what you want. We use all of these tools that I've mentioned, and I just really mentioned them because I really think they get good results. I really don't have anything out of mentioning them or anything. I just think that people do not dedicate a lot of time to understanding how these tools work. And this is what is going to bring you sales by letting people find you, your product, your web shop, your brand. That's very important. So we basically cover all content, as I said, including packaging, translation. We have our own designer team. We even create flat files for you who don't want to copy paste something and you're breaking up if you're going to copy paste it into the right section and, and Amazon follow up emails, basically everything that you have in English that you need done in other language. We can help you with that. And especially I'd like to emphasize that packaging now for selling to Europe is getting more is basically now more important than ever because your product will couldn't will be stopped and it will not be shipped to the country that you want it to be shipped to. If you don't have a translation of the packaging and the, and the back of your product in that language, you're shipping your product to. So a lot of people use the peel and seal labels, but you have to have all the essential information translated to all of the languages. So usually what people do is like they, on the back of the packaging, they do four or five languages, like the peel and seal label. And then you have no problems because we've got sellers who told us that their products could be stopped customs. They don't want to let them reach the warehouse because they don't have the information in that language. So that's something to be super careful with. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're changing quite quickly. Never mind Brexit, even if you took that out of the equation, which if you're based in the UK is hard oh, for everyone. Absolutely. There's so many compliance regulations coming in. And I think a lot of it is driven by, it, sometimes it's not at all common sense, especially EU reg legislation, but you've got to understand that if you're not communicating very clearly on every possible level, formal and informal marketing and animation with your target customers, then it makes sense that somebody's going to complain about it. And so it's yep. a part of an overall way of, I suppose, localization is the word you would use in it. So complying with local regulations, complying yes, with what people are looking for, what keywords they're looking for, just get tuning your product to the market rather than just chucking it out there and hoping it is the old school way of doing it. That's brilliant. So where do people go to find out more from you? You can definitely follow our Facebook page, Wildy Translations. You can follow us on LinkedIn as well. I would say that my personal favorite network is LinkedIn. And I just 
tend to update people on basically everything e-commerce-wise when it comes to localization, some newest trends, some things that maybe people don't know, some of the interesting case studies that we have. So you can always message me on LinkedIn. You can like the post, comment, whatever. I love getting questions. I love being super helpful and just educating people on something that could bring them more money and more profit. Yeah, sounds great. Well, look, it's been all, already very educational. We're going to talk about some of the sort of broader lessons you've got from working with corporates and aggregators. But for the moment, this has been a really nice tactical, nice, quick, actionable wins, I think, for people. So that's really helpful stuff. Very practical. Thank you so much, Yana. Thank you so much for having me. If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com slash 373. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.